my friend Laura, who I have known for a million years. I am a certified old person. <laughs> and Laura has not read the books, but has watched the show probably more times than I have even. So we were just talking about dogs and her raptors. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Okay, when you watched the show, this is my segue here. All right. Did you have any idea what was going on with the wolves? Because when I was watching it with my mom, she was really confused by it and was like, oh, that guy's a werewolf. Oh, <laughs> okay. She thought she had figured it out. All right, so the werewolf thing didn't really trigger for me because... I wasn't sure how deep into the realm of, like, mythical creatures that the show was going to get. There was no real, like, big show that there are unicorns or something of that nature or that there's vampires. Just because there's witches in the landscape of a universe doesn't mean that there's werewolves and vampires. I That makes me immediately okay. think of True Blood. But I did pick up more on the connection that he has with wolves which I think that I may have been more prone to pick up on due to other series that I've really enjoyed that had those types of aspects involved mm -hmm. what if I told you that there kind of are vampires in this show but they decided not to use them <laughs> <laughs> alright so vampires would bring a whole new layer of pizzazz to this show <laughs> It would. Thank you. I agree. Oh, man. You know when the Two Rivers is attacked by all of the Trollocs and, you know, all hell breaks loose? Right. So a breed of shadow spawns. So, like, you have the the dudes with no eyes, right? Right. Those are fades. And then we have the Trollocs who are, like, animal, men, beasts. And then there's something called Drakkar, which are, like, pale skinned flying creatures that will croon to you and then they're like singing will put you in a trance and then they will literally eat your soul and you will just become like flesh after that like you're no longer really alive you're just a meat sack are you still animated once <laughs> you become a meat sack <laughs> because my mind just went on a journey through things because I was like, oh, wow, that's like a lot of mythical creatures in combination. There, I mean, there's more, too. There's something called a golem, which is kind of like this creature of assassination. And they like really excel at ripping limbs off and feeding on, I don't know, blood and <laughs> stuff like that. The Ogier, you know, yeah. the loyal, the big, happy guy, the smartest man in the room. He was very enjoyable as a character. He is, isn't he? Absolutely. I, I would have liked more more time with loyal, but we've got the Ogier, we've got the wolves, we've got something kind of similar to like zombies that are called Zomara, but they're like used as servants and their brain kind of gets wiped every 30 minutes. So like, they're not able to like sell your secrets if you're doing like shady shit. So like, they're the perfect little butlers, I guess. That's like so specific. <laughs> that's such a specific role that they're playing that's like oddly specific. 
But, okay, so once the Ogiers are introduced, I guess my mind would have taken that as an interpretation, like this universe's interpretation of a werewolf. Because not every universe of fantasy has the same interpretation of werewolves. That's true. I'm real fluid to just being like, well, I'm just going to enjoy this line of this for what it is. I, I don't get into dueling over purist notions in fantasy. Like, let people make it whatever they want to make it. Except Twilight. That that does not get a pass. You know, I watched it in 2019, so I finally couldn't have to hear about how I talk shit, and I've never seen it. So I watched it, and it was the most frustrating experience I've probably ever had. We had just been talking about this recently, but there's also these creatures called the Finn, and it's kind of like this world's version of, like, the Fae. Oh, I knew that's where you were going with that. Okay, it's like that, but mixed with a djinn, like a genie. So they grant wishes and answer questions, but there's something expected in return, usually. Okay. And they are pretty nefarious <laughs> like they're not good guys well think about the fae from true blood that's very in line with that yeah yeah absolutely yeah they're i don't want to say too much because i don't want to like get anywhere too spoilery for you but these creatures look like half snakes half humans and then half fox half humans okay is when you brought up that it's like part fox, is it capable of wielding the source? So this is like one of these <laughs> unsolved mysteries of this series. Nobody knows what these creatures, like where their actual like realm is. They're kind of like of a different world, but they are somehow can still be like accessed by going through certain things. I don't know if you remember how Moraine kind of like was looking at some weird thing on her wall and then she was kind of like all of a sudden in a room with Swan Sanche like in a different location. She kind of like teleported. Yeah. Okay, so there's something like that that can kind of like get you to where these Finn, the these fae-like creatures are. So you can, like, access it and get there, but it's not something that, like, is easy to find or, it's like you know, a Harry... is common knowledge. Like a Harry Potter port key. Yeah, kind of, yeah. So the reason why I asked about if the fox-like thing was capable of wielding the source is because that would make it similar to, like, the Japanese mythological kitsune. Well, they they can't really access it, but they feed on it. Okay. Like they they like people who can channel a lot because they get something out of it, I guess. Oh, that's very Kitsune like. Yeah, the Kitsune uh basically just target men. Some of them even marry their target prey. 
I do get the idea from like what you've said that there's a lot of probably basis in real life mythology yeah mythology and legends and things like that the only reason I present that theory is not of my own accord it is because the Netflix world of witcher is something that I watched all the bestiaries the other day and they connect every mythological creature in the witcher to where it came from from real legends and mythology and like real mythology it was actually really enjoyable I mean it's like 45 minutes in total if you watch all of them I think that's one of the things about the Wheel of Time series in general that I really like those because I just like all the weird freaky creatures and the more the better and like why are they not on the show yeah okay okay I have my list in the end I have my list (laughs) of the things I'd like to speak with the manager about. And I didn't even know that this was a thing. So I'm moving this to the top of my list. That's more upsetting than not understanding the, how the timeline works or not, not the timeline, but the time period. Well, I guess that would be the timeline. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember at the end of the season, there are these people on ships that are wearing <laughs> something reminiscent of a ball gag? Yeah. And, <laughs> okay, where these people are from, they have like a whole menagerie of weird creatures I've seen some of the teaser trailers for season two. They're not really trailers, but they're kind of like behind the scenes little clips. Yeah. And there was one, like I saw one of the Sean Chen creatures like in the background somewhere. And I was like, okay, there's one, there's one, but I don't know if they're going to bring all of them in. I would really hope so. But budget. I was actually just going to say, If I could write a list of things that I would hope for in season two, I hope that Amazon Prime gives them a much larger budget. I do understand that first season runs are an experiment. If a show doesn't catch on, they're not, they may get, you know, reinstated for another season, but they're not going to get the increasing budgets that shows that take off do. So I really hope that, Amazon considers this as a show that took off so they give them a better budget because introducing mythological creatures does introduce a lot more cost onto a budget which was a big thing in Game of Thrones for a long time yep those CGI dragons yeah it was one thing when the dragons were small another thing when they needed to take up the whole screen yeah there's kind of a version of dragons yes I'm so excited (laughs) I don't know how many episodes we've done where I just can't get off my soapbox of more weird creatures. So these Sean Chen people have something called a rockin' or toe rockin', and they're pretty much pterodactyls. okay? Okay. But, I mean... If we're going to look at dragons, I mean, that's pretty much what dragons are anyways. They're used for, like, like freight carriers, and then some are small enough that they're just ridden by their trainers. 
stop it. No, I can't accept that. I can't accept it because it does sound like those are a little bit more wyvern-like when I was hoping that you were going to detail something a little bit more Smaug-like. Because, quite frankly, he's the best character in the entire Lord of the Rings universe. Specifically, the movie version of Smaug. I always go back to the benedict cumberbatch where he's in like the green screen yeah. bodysuit and he's doing all the motions exactly and stuff and i'm like oh my god it's him look everyone it's actually him he is smog everyone can come for me in the comments movie smog is the best character in lord of the rings he is <laughs> his theatrical like dramatics his just unadulterated belligerent confidence in himself and his righteousness oh i love it he's so enjoyable <laughs> but okay so you're a big witcher fan is the creatures and mythology like a big part of that for you is what the the creatures of the witcher like i know you're a big witcher fan oh. is it something about that that's like a plus for you with the book it's i just enjoy animals it is really like that simple i enjoy animals i enjoy seeing i very much enjoy art and it's like watching other people's artistic representations of a mythological concept okay though with well, that makes sense look i'm more specific about dragons there's some of my they are they're just like they're so fun they're so fun. <laughs> that was one of the things, like, when... So when House of the Dragon came out, I was the person where I was just kind of like, well, I just want to see what, what they make this one look like. I... Ooh, I wonder what they're going to do with this one. How is this one going to look? I was That was me. It, I was that person. It very much felt like they watched a lot of... DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon. Because... <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, don't get me wrong. Damon's dragon was the best, though. He was so creepy. Uh, I very much enjoyed that movie, too. I very much enjoyed How to Train Your Dragon, all of them. My son is in that right age block where I got to watch those a lot. But the dragons of House of the Dragon definitely felt more like that and less like the the three dragons of game of thrones yeah and i i enjoyed it i did i enjoyed that they had so many different variations within the species some of them were kind of silly yeah they had some two legs some had four legs yeah i would very much enjoy seeing the big stereotypical dragons enter the scene just because I enjoy them visually. I don't know if it would be relevant or how how would they run this storyline with something of that magnitude in the background without, you know, just using them as some sort of weird weapon. Yeah, so in the Wheel of Time they're not really used as weapons. They're mostly like scouts, which, you know, they're not fire breathing. So it's just like someone someone having air support, like tactical air support, and be like, okay, someone's moved their troops over here. We saw it via the back of these creatures. So like, I, I like that it's not 
weaponized. I mean, you could have them swooping in and killing people, I guess, but they have other creatures for that, so they don't need the the flying ones for killing. You know what I think I like is that dragons always have a personality. This is true. This is true. And they always have such a bold personality. So, okay, let me say this. I love The Witcher. You know that. I talk about it all the time. I enjoy it from the video games to the books to the show, and I can view them all as very separate entities and enjoy all of them. What I do not join The Witcher is dragons. I'm I'm trying to think. Okay, okay. Season one, there was dragons. What you were saying about the more pterodactyl-like aspect, that's what the dragons of The Witcher looked like in the show. They looked kind of more like pterodactyls. And I was like, man, I was like, (laughs) everything's so grand. And then you, why'd you have to like steal the dragon's shine like this? make them all goofy large chickens yeah and he had he had such like a soothing philosophical personality he wasn't like bold and sashaying down the runway about everything (laughs) and that's what i enjoy about dragons is they're the utmost of theatrical creatures yeah whether their personalities would be in the realms of good or nefarious, they're always going to bring all of the personality to it. And that's, I think what I enjoy most about them is a lot of times, you know, like talking creatures can sometimes be somewhat childlike in representation or they're very sarcastic in representation. Dragons are very like, I'm the smartest one in the room. And I have no issue telling everybody about it. Okay, like, obviously there's this, like, mysticism attached to it because of mythology. But I think it just makes me think of, like, beings that are much older than humans. So there's this long lineage of, I don't know, like, wisdom being passed down makes humans seem... I don't know. That's something like with the Ogier and the Wheel of Time. They're always like, oh, the humans, they're so hasty. Like, just slow down, little buddies. Like, you know, they're much like the Ents of uh, Lord of the Rings. They're very whimsical about the methodologies and behaviors of humans, where dragons are very feeling pressed about it. They are. Like, can somebody please inform them that they know nothing? <laughs> but Ogiers, you know, aren't driven by the need to have complete and absolute control, like a dragon normally is. When I think of ogres, you know, like Shrek ogres, yeah, I love... like, they're not the nicest creatures. But Robert Jordan was like, oh, like, mine are going to be really sweet and gentle and just like reading books and doing embroidery or something. <laughs> They made them, like, the author made them very wise and very, they're gentle parenting everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, I wanted to ask you, we could make this whole episode about creatures. We totally could. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew that you had stuff that I wanted to, like, talk to you about that was some of the things that you enjoyed, didn't enjoy, or maybe had questions about. Oh, yeah, my list. 
as I watched the show again, I realized I was looking at it from the aspect of like, who are the characters I like versus who are the actors that I like on the show? Ooh, okay. Yeah. I want to know all of this. Tell me everything. My two favorite characters are Moraine and Lan, without a doubt. Okay. From the aspect of having only watched the show and not read the books. So I'm not seeing the introspective view of these characters. I'm seeing how the translation of that introspection is projected into the third person on screen. But mm-hmm. I do enjoy that they are basically the smartest people in the room and it can be frustrating when you're trying to help people and nobody will just take you seriously and get it done it's not like we have time to debate over things there's like the guy with the the at the bridge at the not the trolley at the ferry the ferryman every time i watch that scene i'm like everyone's like oh my god how could you kill him she didn't he she everybody tried to stop him and he was like i'm gonna go save my fairy against (laughs) magic against magic that was a dummy move that was a dummy move that was a failure in logic that cost that man his life it was nothing but that (laughs) you can take him to court and they're gonna find him guilty of a failure of logic like Moraine was not responsible for that man's death. And quite frankly, what was that man going to do once he... Okay, let's say she didn't sink the ferry. Let's say she didn't do that. And she let him take that ferry back across. What was he going to do? Yeah. And that was an army. Really? Honestly. That was an army. (laughs) Like, what was he going to do? Oh, man. Just no survival skills whatsoever. (laughs) He... I really like that scene in particular because it is like the exact same feeling that I had when I was reading it about this guy. So when I had said like translating from introspective view to the third person, a lot of times when you read the book series and you watch the show series, it can be frustrating because there are sometimes major alterations as you consume a show, it's different than how you would consume the media of a book in your mind. They have to show you everything Absolutely. on a show. There's no written word to guide your mind in building all of this. So they have to make mm-hmm. things like easy to process. And, and there are other shows that, and I had said this about the timeline thing, is I do appreciate that the show has a concurrently moving timeline that it goes just in chronological order from what I can tell. And if I would assume that if there's any flashbacking there, there's obvious indicators of that. Other shows are literally jumping all through space and time with no clear indicators. They're like, don't worry, you'll figure it out at the end. Surprise. Why does every show have to be like that now? Sorry, I went on a tangent. I went on a long, like, I derailed so many times. <laughs> no, it's fine. The fairy man guy, I just, I don't know. I thought it was hilarious because some people were, like, really poo-pooing that he died. What? And, I mean, it's almost the exact same scenario in the books, but the guy doesn't, like, jump in. She just sinks his fairy, okay? But in this show, they made this guy, like... <laughs> 
<laughs> swan dive in. Oh. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I don't know. Like people were all like, that's not Moraine. She wouldn't do that. I'm like, she absolutely 100% would. I, uh, you have got to be kidding me that people are white knighting that. Like, what? <laughs> Are you, do you want to go back across the, with him? Like, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you, you, like, defending stupidity is absurd. His motives were solely based around stupidity. It's absurd to defend that. I'm sorry. She, uh, how many lives? If anything, they should be outraged at how silly that man is to do something I, like that. that was, Not that Moraine yeah, exactly. created a whirlpool. She didn't. <laughs> she didn't toss him in. No, right? she didn't go in after him. But I wouldn't either. Who would? Like, you want to no. get that close? Like, how are you going to stop a man from? Who already believes... Practicing his backstroke. (laughs) How are you going to stop this man who already believes he's stronger than the source of power? That he's stronger than magic in the water? (laughs) Michael Phelps over here. (laughs) Oh. Uh. Oh, no. No. How are you... No, you can't trust his decision-making process. Obviously. Okay, so you had brought up linear time and how when they had it does appear that points it's where they kind of backtrack. It, it appears that for the most part we're moving, you know, in a forward linear movement. We might be moving laterally sometimes as well, but that's not mm-hmm. we're not jumping through like generational gaps of time. So with the Amelin seat flashback they literally almost immediately after that scene showed her as an adult. Yeah. I did not have to wait four episodes to put that together. And like, you know, there's all the clues, like her tattoos and everything. Yeah. So as far as that, like the flashback or the changes and where we're at in time go, they did very well on that. But as far as setting the scene for the time, I had no idea. Not one. I'm not somebody who is unobservant. I had no idea that we were in some sort of taken or reclaimed by nature so far out in the future environment. These flashes that they've been putting in, like the scene flashes, I I told you about them yesterday. I've made sure to watch for those and most of them are Mm -hmm. two to three seconds long and quite frankly i don't know how many people are running just incredibly intense resolution tvs because i have like my tvs aren't like terrible but they're not like six thousand dollar tvs but there is just not enough clear definition because it's it's such a flash i don't know I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I would like to see peppered in a bit more. I think that they underestimate, like, 
how people view fantasy environments. Like I'm very fluid in a fantasy environment. Most of those flashes where they were trying to show overgrown by nature skyscrapers is not mm-hmm. obvious to me that that's what I'm looking at. It could just be a fantasy landscape. Yeah. And that's exactly. what I thought I was looking exactly. at. And then I, I I don't want to bring this up yet. Never mind. <laughs> that would be I'd have to open up a whole new line of conversation there because it was in the go for it, it was go in the comments it. like where it was talking like where we were talking about aspects I liked and then I made like a couple like quips in there and it was how I said that this has a very Lord of the Rings landscape to it mm-hmm. there we have the long journey and then I you know I was going into about how the Trollocs would be kind of like the Urukai and the oh what the shadow what is what are the shadow yeah yeah they would be the the dark one or yeah the the dark ones like primary minions um they would be more similar to the Nazgul like the ring rakes the ring race sorry and then we get down into the landscape at in Tarvalon it all its opening you know introduction is almost like the opening introduction to Minas Tirith in Lord of the Rings like how am I supposed to know that this is in the future when you're presenting me with a very <laughs> period drama landscape that you are not clearly stating it's a fantasy realm there of course are going to be greater modes of access in the areas around like the white tower where the source is you know exuding it's probably i have to assume fullest strength because it did very much give the feel that like the closer you are to the white tower the stronger your connection to the source is that may not be true there were a couple lines that definitely led me down that path though it's not too far off the women that can channel have this kind of like innate sense of being able to feel it in other women so there is this kind of (gasps) aspect of community there okay they're connected in that way but also I think one of the things about Tarvalan that makes it so much more like different looking in general is because it is clean AF. There's so many channelers there and it's so wealthy that it is just like the pinnacle of power in this world, hands down, 100%. Like no king, no nation is greater. And I don't know if like that is tra- was translated so well in like dialogue, but I think, like, when you see Swan Sanche, the Amerlin seat, like, that getup that she's wearing, that whole gold gown, oh, you're like, okay, like, she's clearly in charge. <laughs> like, Only part of the wardrobe I enjoyed in the show was the Amerlin seat's wardrobe. But that makes sense to me. And that's where my mind naturally went, was that they're going to have greater access to harnessing the source in a resourceful method there, like in Tarvalon, like there's so much magic that they would be able to harness it to use it in a productive way in society. Out in the two rivers, you don't have that level of magic ambiently in the air. How would you harness it 
for use in production. So it was nothing, it wasn't a hard belief to think that in a fantasy universe, that in these areas of high concentrations of magic, they can harness magic in a technologically advanced way that more remote areas wouldn't have access to. But it definitely didn't say this is happening in the future. You're blowing my mind right now because so when they do the flashback and there's like flying vehicles and it is very futuristic. Right. All of this back in this timeline is pretty much powered by not just technological advance, but the one power as well. And that's why it was like, that's why they call it the age of legends. So like homeboy at the end, that's kind of like battling Rand in this metaphysical showdown I guess he's from that timeline like he's old 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 like hundreds and hundreds of years old the way that they were like powering these flying vehicles and all of this like fancy stuff that they had back then was with the one power so like yeah that's what I assumed it's obviously like the next step to make with the one power one place would be greater or better or more advanced i'll be honest with you the first time i watched the show it didn't fully connect for me right away we had regressed in time to the last dragon reborn it was because it was so futuristic but again like the futuristic elements are very passive and i I just assumed it was powered by magic so why would it be out of place in that area right it's not like they were showing something futuristic in a more remote area as though everybody had access and that's where i had also brought up like what's with all the magical gatekeeping that's going on um it Mm -hmm. why are there so many undertones of like high level gatekeeping I, i you know what i have a question that is really important what is the dark one's propaganda What even draws people in? Because as I was watching last night, I was like, it was the girl who was like, the Dark One's going to reward me. Do you have like a flyer or like a reward poster? (laughs) A pamphlet? Do you have something (laughs) that tells you what said reward is going to be? I need to know because in the show, there is no evidence of any sort of propaganda on the Dark One's part, unless it's a mystic promise. Yeah, I think in this show, they actually do a little bit better of a job than they do in the books, kind of like explaining what the what the draw is. What she's saying is kind of true. Like she really has no connection to, you know, like the Dark One doesn't come down and talk to her. Right. right? Like she's not hearing the voice of, him or her or it or whatever but they do have like societies of people that follow the dark one really but it's done in a very like lord of the rings type of way where it's like black and white good and evil oh, and it's segregated. like the evil people join the bad guy but ishamael the this guy that kind of has the little like battle with Rand at the very end he's pretty much like a nihilist like he's 
in this world, like people are reborn in different ages over and over, like reincarnation is a thing. And some people aren't really too into it. They're like, hey, you know, like when I die, I kind of just want to die and not reliving, living in my crappy little village and having a shitty life over and over again. And like this whole re-spinning of the wheel thing isn't really my tea. So I'm going to join with the dark one and he's going to put a stop to this. Now, we don't really know if that's what he would actually do, the dark one, or if it's, like you said, like some type of propaganda that's being I, okay. put out there. All right, so... I don't know how the show is going to approach it. Like, this is a mystery. This is a question mark for me. All right, so with what you were saying about Lord of the Rings, Sauron has very clear propaganda. You come over here, you do what I want, and I reward you. Or in some cases... It... And that's kind of like the Forsaken in okay. The Wheel of Time. Like this guy at the end. He'd probably be like more of a Sauron character. So, yeah, that it is unclear to me then. Because like, the part where she's like, you know, soapboxing like a Disney villain about the Dark One rewarding <laughs> her. I was like, this doesn't make sense. That she would just do this on her own and hope for a good outcome? Like, how is that? I was just wondering if that's what they do. or But if you're saying it's more of a... a it, it all ties back to those religious themes. This show has so many undertones of religious theming in it. And that's why I had that propaganda question is because if there were propaganda that I could, like, tie this to, it wouldn't feel so much like an arc of American Christianity. I have a theory, and I think it has more to do with, so, like, the Dark One, this mythical being that we don't see or hear. Like, we don't really know what the motivation of this entity is. But we do know that this guy that's, I guess it's hard to talk about because in this show, they don't explain right away like who he is, but he is like one of the main followers of the Dark One, okay? Mm -hmm. And he may have his own motivations, right? So like this guy throughout season one, you see him kind of like, flash in people's dreams like old fire eyes so I'm assuming like if they're like you said like what's the propaganda what's the pamphlet yeah I think it's possible that this guy is showing up in people's dreams and talking to them and therefore they think that they are actually speaking to the dark one but it's just this guy okay all right. But again, I don't know how they're going to approach it because it's not quite the same as how it is in the books. So it's like, I think it's something that needs expanded on and it needs, It. I don't know. It has like a Baba Yaga feel to it. I thought that was more <laughs> of where the Dark One was headed. I thought we were looking at like an entombed witch or an entombed entity that has a more controlling level of access of the source. The origin story for this guy, this Ishamael dude at the end here, it's really interesting, and he's not the only one. Like, I don't know if they'll bring all of them into the TV show, but there's 13 of them 
they're all kind of I guess like vying to be the number one like <laughs> if I'm the best daddy will choose oh, me oh yep you know? there we go with our uh, deities becoming your narcissistic parent yes yeah that's a real thing that happens a lot and you see it a lot in this scope of deities i of course they're going to be competing for father's attention yes and it's weird because the books there is no religion in the books like nobody follows any religion there's no difference in beliefs of like well reincarnation or whatever like it is just everyone is reincarnated it's more of kind of like an eastern take on that aspect but there's no like combating way of thinking i guess i just saw the reincarnation thing as a generalized societal acceptance of what happens after death that like they are scientifically sure that that's what happens so that's just part of what life is yeah that's a really good way to look at the it. religion that's more like the children of the light and the Aes Sedai and any other culty groups on the landscape because this does kind of have a culty feel to it the children of the light are straight up a cult like hands down that's what they you are you know to jump back for just a second I will set up a booth and say that the Abdul Salis, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, did the best acting on the show. Like, changed my mind. Was that Eamon Valda, the, the one child of the light that burns women? Yeah, the one wearing all the rings that he's been running around collecting Aes Sedai lives. I think he was the most compelling villain in season um, one to be honest when i say like that he did the best acting he brought that character to genuine life like where his scenes were apprehensive to watch because you have no idea what this megalomaniac is gonna think of next and yeah he so well interpreted the just literal entitlement to take people's lives that his character felt. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I think that he did, hands down, the best acting of bringing a character to life. Whether that as an accurate representation of Child Valda in the books or not, I think that all the books should be rewritten to include this man's personality. Because there are other shows that have had actors that bring villain characters to life like this. Game of Thrones is a good example. The actor who played Joffrey Baratheon. Yes. Like, he would get harassed on the street. Yeah. Because of how good of a job he did I mean, incredible Joffrey. acting. But that's what this yeah. felt like. This was incredible acting of bringing a character, of bringing a villain character to life. I just, I wish there was more time. Like, there are so many people in this show where it's like, who can you trust? Are they a good guy? Are they a bad guy? What's this person's motivation? What are these people all about? What is the background with the children of the light? Why are they like they are? What is, where did they come from? How did they start? Yeah, I was shocked that Child Valda died. There had been what I, seemed... See, that's the thing. I don't know if he's dead. Well, I okay, I, that's a good point. That's a really good point. 
it's a lot of effort to put into a character to end that quickly. Okay, he may not be done. I just don't... <sighs> Maimed by wolves and stabbed and, like, like, there's so many things that were happening in that moment. It would be very fantastical if he survives, but it's possibility because there was a lot of showing the type of person that he is leading up to that specifically around him are they keeping an imprisoned Aes Sedai somewhere so that they can heal them when needed like are they capable of that probably yeah they do seem hypocritical enough to like be like oh you're terrible for using these powers you're a witch but I will also use that to my advantage <laughs> and keep you as a slave yeah, I could definitely see that as being a thing for him. But, you know, another character who does a, another, I didn't look up the actress's name, but the woman who does the acting for Leandrin, she does a really good job. She's amazing. So the two of them <laughs> She's so good. are specifically tapping into the nuances in the types of people who would have these mindsets. And they're even exuding the nuanced behavior of a person like Child Balda. You know, that air of entitlement, the belief in absolute righteousness. Mm -hmm. Leandrin has the innocuous nuances in her behavior of somebody who is highly tactical with predatory motivation. I'm so glad that you said that because... She'll be one to watch next season. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. comes across on the show as though she has ulterior motive and this is all a game of chess for her, but many of the Aes Sedai come across that way and there's a lot of overtones of that, of them like just directly referencing that part of being an Aes Sedai is being manipulative. Yeah, within the different Ajas, there are the blue Aja and the red Aja do not get along, do not talk to each other, <laughs> sworn enemies, you know, like there's cliques between them as well. So like Tarvalan as a community is not, it's very multi-tiered and multi-layered. You know, different motivations for everybody. Thinking about that, one thing that I don't enjoy in this is that they had to include that stereotypical women can't be together without being fake friends Ugh, yeah like calling each other sister and then actively working to harm them behind their back it's that kind of thing that it would have been cool if that weren't an aspect i understand that for story arcing it has to be an aspect for, like, the way that this story moves. And quite frankly, anytime you have spies, there's going to be manipulative behavior. And that's what the Blue Aja are. They're spies. I'm glad that you picked up on that. Have you been... Do you feel like you have a pretty well-rounded idea of what the different Ajas do? So, as a show viewer, I think the Reds mm -hmm. are, like, the feds. Okay. <laughs> They're running around in these streets acting like the actual police of 22 in the USA like <laughs> come on <laughs> who is the governing authority here who is it just like the rule or is it the law 
are they like the police or are they like a vigilante group? Like, are they serving no-knock warrants or are they just doing this? Uh, yeah, yeah. They can go in and take any man who is channeling and bring him, bring him in to Tarvalin and gentle him. But they are absolutely not allowed to gentle a man without, like, it being done in Tarvalin with, you know, the Amarlin seat, Swan Sanche being informed. Like, they can't, they're not supposed to go rogue, but they do. They have in the past. So, like, they've gotten away with things that they shouldn't have. Yeah. I guess. They very much come across as like to enforce and enslave in the show they're very from my perspective the reds are very unlikable there's good ones and bad ones i guess but for the most part the reds in the book are just like terrible terrible humans i mean i feel like i could get pulled over by them later today and it's not going to be a good time and they're definitely (laughs) going to write me an obscene ticket like they come across uh, is so all of the red aja wears aviators <laughs> yeah like <laughs> i've got my gentling glasses on yeah that's that's very much the vibe they're very clear that yellow is healing so there's where your physicians mm-hmm. are at that they're very clear about blue being spies and green seem to be the infantry of the scenario yeah so they're basically yes kind of the u.s military yes in design so like tarvalin is based on the citadel citadel robert jordan was in the military oh this makes so much so sense. like tarvalin is the military pretty much but like also a nation itself and then i know we were talking about religion like he's episcopalian but the author but like very into Eastern religions and that shows. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of Tarvalin, like the things that they do, like it is literally, I say this all the time, an ivory tower. Okay. Yeah. Like that can't be a coincidence. <laughs> it, it has that same feel that a lot of fantasy series that do have the leanings of Christian religion Lord of the Rings, quite frankly, has religious undertones in it, Every, dark and light, and that's what's going on here, dark and light. I'm not saying that that makes it unenjoyable, but it's very prevalent in the show. Yeah, I think that's something that, I guess that's maybe why I like Eamon Balda, because some of my favorite characters are the ones where they're obviously antagonistic characters but they're not like servants of the dark one they just have their own motivations and they're gray characters because they are not because of good or evil and i think those are always a little bit more fun to explore oh absolutely other than just like i love villain (laughs) characters because i'm good and i'm bad because i'm bad i I generally very much enjoy villain characters. They usually have a level of complexity to them that is, I don't know, I guess more real than a lot of heroic characters have. I honestly find Ram to be annoying on the show. On the show. (laughs) He is in the books too. 
It's just, you know, the trope of the savior trope. The white male savior trope? The person, that and that he's, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to have all of this responsibility, right? Like, had I just wanted to live my life how I would have, I wouldn't have gotten caught up in all of this. Like, poor <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he has that heroic personality that I've seen in other movies, shows, where they're so burdened by how they don't want this that they end up like you know hurting other people in the wake of that and then suddenly they're ready to accept it and they succeed like you pretty much just described his entire character arc from like book one to book 13 yeah like that's it's a it's an obvious story. character arc that's happening at the same time like it <laughs> When this came out, they that that might not have been so you know like early nineties. That might no, not I get have been... it. I it's not going to be perceived the same as it is now. And that's another thing. When I was talking right. about how like there are times where there's differences between shows and book series, and I just try and view them as separate entities because there are shows that I think that were done better than books. There are changes that I've seen shows make from books that I think were good for the series. If you make it too yeah. nostalgic, it becomes less palatable, quite frankly. That's a fun point. I'm not going to laugh at the things that would have been laughed at in the 90s. I'm not going to respond the same because those constructs are viewed completely differently in society now. Yeah. I think at the time, people were really into the series because it wasn't so common to have like the Gandalf figure be a woman. Oh, yeah. Though... I'm going to be honest, here's one thing I don't like, uh, here's another thing I don't like about the series, is it doesn't feel like female empowerment to me that only women can access the source when the only reason it's that way is because men are in timeout. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think, too, this is something that has been brought up a lot recently because... Obviously, here in this time, we don't really look at gender as binary as people did in the 90s. So it's like, you know, like some people don't identify as male or female. Like, can they be channelers in this world? Like, what, how does that work? And especially with the showrunner being like a part of the LGBTQ community, I'm wondering, like, if these are things that they're going to actually tackle and like think about and expand on or is it still kind of like a little bit I don't know like something that they don't really want to focus too much on I don't know as though and maybe you know every perspective is singular from my perspective I didn't feel like there was any sort of focus put on anti-homosexual relationships in the show I don't personally remember a point where in the show it was deemed like oh if we get caught doing this we're gonna be in trouble and I mean that's I think too like groundbreaking about the books even though it wasn't done well in the 90s that there were legit lesbian uh quite <laughs> like women were having relationships with each other quite frankly Rand's character comes across as very bisexual 
I've heard this before. I've heard people say this before. And, like, I've seen people shipping him Look, <laughs> with men before. So I don't know if it comes across that way in the books, but in the show, Rand's character comes across as very bisexual. And it doesn't seem to be an issue. They had Alana, the, the green Aja woman. She's in a relationship with her two warders, and it seems like, you know, it's a polyamorous relationship, and her warders are romantic with each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, there are a lot of tones of polyamorous relationships of homosexuality and bisexuality, and it doesn't ever seem to be frowned upon, so I was not under the impression that your sexual orientation is covered under the scope of law in this universe. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I could be wrong. That just didn't, that's not a theme that came through for me on the show. Yeah. I think the the question for me is if they're going to, like sexuality, I think they're doing everything really well and good. I think the question for me is how are they going to, is it even possible with the nature of the one power being binary male and female, is it possible to have binary pe- non-binary people on the show as channelers? I, If that makes sense. It does. It makes total sense, quite frankly, because then how would the one power know to make, how would it know to make them go mad? Do you get a personality disorder if you're, I mean, like, that leaves a lot of questions for me. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that they could do it, and it would go over horribly. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what I just thought of is, like, as somebody with ADHD, I was like, no, of course, it would probably be like, if you're binary, you're getting ADHD. You get to be just <laughs> stuck in another universe. Oh, so when you were talking about Rand, though... Do you have a do you have any theories about like who he will end up with? Mm. Do you think him and Egwene will make it through the long haul? Can I be really honest here? Please do. I don't care about romantic arcs. <laughs> Me either. I, I think that was my biggest uh pet peeve of the show. I'm like, I don't care about Rand I don't Egwene I don't Barry. care if two teenagers because they're teenagers correct i i accept why so frequently the hero characters in this realm of fantasy are teenagers because somebody my age you're not gonna roll up on me in my home and be like get your stuff let's go we're walking to california (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) no i need literally every detail from you how are we going to be doing this? What's going to be happening? I need to know how I survived. It's more believable that a teenager would see this as an experience or an adventure and someone who is in the early millennial category would see this as an inconvenience. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't care about a romantic arc between two teenagers because they're children. Yeah. Why do why do children always have to be in romantic or even sexually toned arcs in fantasy? Like, can we please either make it about adults or just keep that 
elsewhere, you know, with the adult characters. I agree with you so much. I agree with you so much. I was not pleased to see that I'm watching a representation of two teenagers have sex in the first episode. It's like, I know that the actors are adults. Okay, that I'm not, but I still don't want to imagine two teenagers. That's the Correct. thing. Like, Correct. it's so Correct. creepy and predatory to me that that has always got to be a part of the fantasy arc. It's probably in a very passive undertone of why The Witcher is my favorite series. He's, Geralt's an adult. I really need to read it. Geralt is an adult. Yennefer is an adult. Like, everybody who is engaged in romantic scenarios up to the point that I'm at, because I haven't finished the whole series, up to the points that I'm at is they're adults. And as far as the show goes, I appreciate that in The Witcher, I'm not watching representations of children. I'm not trying to sit here and say that, oh, no teenagers are ever going to, you know, it's not about that. I understand what the reality is, but I'm saying that as an adult, I think it's inappropriate to so readily make that content available because it desensitizes people to the fact that they are children. I think that's a really good point. I mean, like, I'm just thinking about shows like Euphoria. Ugh, or something. I can't watch like, Euphoria. Teenagers. I cannot watch Euphoria. As the parent of a 13-year-old, I understand that this is real life. I have experienced these things, but I do not want to consume that as a, that's not a, that show is the most uncomfortable for me to watch because I don't understand at what point that we're going to stop romanticizing graphically dangerous mental illness. Here, here. Until society recognizes that these are not romantic character traits that these character traits that these people are experiencing are hurting them at astronomical proportions just because you are not seeing what they're feeling doesn't mean that being a brooding drug addict is a romantic thing that is horrible for the people who live through that. But I can't speak for European media. I actually very much enjoy a lot of Korean shows on Netflix. I've watched a few very theatrical dramas from Italy. Well, I'm thinking of like Skins, like back in the day, that was a British show. And it's, I mean, pretty much same thing that you're talking about with Euphoria. <laughs> when you're talking about <laughs> Americans. Oh, don't get me started. So... The Sean Chen, the people at the at the end of episode eight, the ones on the ship. Yeah. Robert Jordan wrote them as having a southern draw. Stop it. Like that's their no. accent. No. Yes. No. No. I'm glad that they. Is there room for American accents in fantasy? I very much enjoy the general tone and dialects that you hear in period fantasy dramas. I don't know as though it's, I don't even necessarily know what the dialect is from. Like, is it a type of, I know that there's so many different types of British that people like British, Amer like not British American, but British English versus American English. Like there's different dialects, right. like there are different dialects of American English, but 
the ones that you see appear, those specific dialects that you see appear a lot in the the visual media forms of the fantasy realm, I think do a lot to add a seriousness to the show. <laughs> because American vernacular is it's it's different. And the accents in America would bring a different layer of feeling to the show. <laughs> I, I don't know what American accents we're going with, but then like I keep, I'm thinking of more modern American accents, I guess. And it's not that I'm making fun of the <laughs> no. accent because not like gangs of New York. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my mind keeps going to these like theatrical Tamil American accents, like yeah, gangs of New York type thing. John Wayne. <laughs> I immediately, everybody in the show now is John Wayne. Get everybody a horse. Like, I uh, I think that it just sounds a little bit more serious. Yeah. Okay. Before we wrap it up, was there anything on your list that, like, you have to get out of your system? Well, I talked about, like, the aspects of feminism. So we covered that. And then I, you know, touched on the making the narcissistic parent and everything you know i need an explanation for how humans lost the knowledge of mechanics because now that i understand that this is a futuristic setting how is everybody running around without the knowledge that generators and solar power we had that now if this is very far advanced from us and they are able to harness okay. magic how did they lose the construct okay of motor mechanics we have regressed immensely as a society i there's no explanation for how there was so much regression in human knowledge okay so they have a couple origin episodes available on amazon okay, I'll have there to was watch supposed those. to be some coming out in the summer but that never happened come on prime video okay but Back in the flying car time period of this Age of Legends, everything was good. People are happy. Things are cool. Everything's chill. And then we start getting people choosing sides and declaring themselves for the Dark One. And when you saw that flashback in Episode 7, it was a man speaking to a woman and they were having a discussion, a little bit of an argument about his plan. And he wanted to strike the Dark One right now and take him out. Like, they were going to... Yeah. Using the One Power, like, seal people up in, like, a metaphysical hole, kind of. Okay. And that takes place. That happens. But caveat here... She didn't go along with it. Luce Theron, the guy, he decided to go rogue on his own with his 99 best dudes, and the women decided they were that, getting into this That was made very clear. Situation. She gave him the look like, whatever. Do whatever you want. I'll be here. You do whatever you want. I'm not cleaning this up for you. Yes. So as, like, one final strike the dark one pretty much kind of like poisons all male channelers and so for the next thousands and thousands of years 
male channelers just go absolute mad. Like if you're a man and you realize you can channel, like you have pretty much two options. You can go to a location where you are cut off from the source of magic, but that makes you clearly unstable because it's like the source of life. Right. Or you can be gentled by like what the Red Aja does, the police force. The Red Aja will come pick you up and gentle you. And then people that are gentled by the Red Aja, they usually commit suicide like shortly thereafter for the same reason. Right. Because that. Your third option is just, you know, uh, like throwing yourself off of a cliff. Okay, suicide. So like. Does the madness kill you? It can in the right context. Like. Some people will... I mean, like... So this is how all, the ma- all everything was lost. Because people were like, these dudes were just rampaging. And continents change. Like, rivers moved places. Mountains were formed all in a short amount of time. And it, like, just completely wiped out civilization okay. everywhere. I don't... Because these dudes were, like, rampaging. <laughs> oh, I have so many jokes to make. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, it doesn't necessarily, okay, so it's just one of those things that I'm going to have to accept that it is what it is, because it does seem like a failure in logic to me that people would forget how to harness things like solar power, but I get like where this all, it would be a whole different landscape if they had access to things like electricity. I think like nothing was left standing at this point, like people were literally like turned into nomads. Okay. Like, post-apocalyptic, like, the road, just a couple things strapped to their back. Like, that's it. And, I mean, even the Ogier, like, they lived, you know, a really, really long time. They're old, very old. But, like, they almost didn't make it either. I guess, like, that's his way of writing himself out of that problem. With you saying, like, a couple things strapped to your back like a nomad, I was... My first thought was like, don't sign me up for that. I don't, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I gotta f- fight for survival at every moment? Yeah, and then as all of this is happening, there are still shadow spawn, like, rampaging and killing people. So, like. Okay, well, that, that does bring some more context to how it got to the point that it is. Yeah. That and the only other question I would have is like, is is the wardrobe like it is in the book? No, not okay. at all. Is it <laughs> like, better? Lots of embroidery, lots of shawls. Ooh. Like, <laughs> ooh, oh, uh, yeah. I don't like. I I don't necessarily enjoy the wardrobe on the show. Some of it seems like overly eclectic for no reason. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Are only the Aja and the children of the of the light allowed to have fresh fits? Like, is that are the are they the only ones who are allowed? Are they gatekeeping fashion too? Yes, that's that the oh, only explanation. That's awful. That's awful. It was something that a lot of people voiced their opinions about. At first, when I saw things, I was like, you know, like everything looks so clean and bright and shiny. 
And I'm just so used to kind of like these muted tones, you know, Game of Thrones and stuff like that, where it felt different. You know what is real quick is a theme that I despise in storytelling across the board is always that only the elite or only the wealthy or the betters have any fashion sense as though people who that's so not true. exactly it's so not true if you were a peasant in the middle ages you could still get dyes you could still get color like right it, it, you would use it you would want it's, it it's really in reality i think a lot of shows and whatever don't realize it, that all they're doing is promoting gatekeeping because that's really an aspect of access a peasant doesn't have the same financial or time access that a royal has it doesn't mean that they're not capable of putting like a good outfit together and that was my thing in this show they used clothing so definitively the wardrobe was so definitively used to represent financial class oh yeah absolutely yeah that's why i love <laughs> that's why i love book naive because she was like motherfucker put me in wool i don't want silk like this is not this is not for me this is not sensible get out of here oh, not me <laughs> i would be demanding <laughs> that they find a way to make silk more durable for me to wear if aja all get to pick their own outfit which seems to be the case as long as you're repping the right color you can pick your own outfit i would be oh man that leaves so many possibilities but this show was like why do these people look silly like it was like they went out of their way to make them look just like hobos and I don't mean that in like an accusatory way, but they are going out of their way to make it look like these people are like, oh, here's a shirt over here. I'll take that. Like they are that poor. And that's they're using clothing to represent that. Like I understand that they're poor because they live out of caravans. I understand that they don't have financial access through that method. I don't need like clothing to dictate class. I do understand it. This also leans to why I thought that this was a period piece and that it was not set in the yeah. future is because that was very much how society did things in, you know, the period realm of fantasy. It's, I mean, that's all over real life too, but in the future, like, can we stop relying on, on constructs from like the you know late 1800s to dictate the future i think that's something that i guess i don't know i i'm really curious so at one point it was announced that a whole different you know not amazon prime but a whole different production studio is going to be creating a series of movies based on the age of legends so like before Okay. You know, this whole apocalyptic scenario, which is like so distinctly sci-fi that like, I'm really hoping that they kind of like make this a bigger part of the series because it's so different than period you... fantasy. Like once you put in all of these aspects of time. Absolutely. But it's, it's not well translated in the show. The show 
has painted this as a period piece, which I love. That's probably why it was recommended to me. I yeah. watch all of the fantasy period series. I mean, the the lack of access to things like electricity do lend space for more theatrics and drama and hurtling that doesn't become monotonous and repetitious. But at the same time, if this is set in the future, that was a mystery to me. That was more surprising than an M. Night Shyamalan twist. <laughs> I'm wrapping it up there. That's the perfect quote to end.